This podcast may contain adult language and situations, graphic, gory details, and other not-so-nice things. Listener discretion is advised. I'm Ashley. And I'm Lacey, and this is United States of Murder. This week, we're in Montana discussing the abduction of a young biathlete. Then we'll talk about the first serial killer caught by using the FBI's offender profiling. Buckle up and join us on this dark and twisted ride through the treasure state. The classic movie plot of an adult being kidnapped and held for ransom is very rare, at least here in the U.S. Still, abductions do happen, and they're not always money-related. In the past few years, several cases of women being abducted while jogging have been in the headlines, and the crimes were sexually motivated and led to murder. I searched online to see what experts recommended as survival tips in the case of an abduction, and I'll read a few before discussing my case. Of course, each scenario is different, and these may or may not apply to each circumstance. Never allow an attacker to take you to a secondary location. It's better to go down fighting in the street, in the parking lot, at the door, than to be transported to a second location where the attacker can take their time doing whatever they have planned. Police statistics show that second location crimes are around 85% fatal. Fight for your life because a second location is always going to be worse. However, if they have a lethal weapon, are very intoxicated, or there's no one around who can hear you scream, then it may be better to comply. If you are taken, keeping your wits about you is the most important thing. Stay calm and compliant while trying to humanize yourself to the kidnapper, while also sneakily looking for opportunities to escape. Identifying with them creates a social connection they will have to overcome if they are deciding whether or not to kill you later. Once kidnapped, most victims don't have the ability to reach or use their phone, but if you can, call 911. Keep in mind that 911 can usually track your location, even if you can't say anything out loud. Observe as much of your environment as you can, including the attacker's physical description, any exits where you're being held, or key information that will lead to your captors after you're rescued. Everything and anything could be significant. So we received an email last year from Andrew G., who's a law enforcement officer, and he recommended this case to us. He has family that was involved in the investigation. Yeah. Hmm. Also, I just want to touch a little bit on your opening. So it would be, for me anyway, because I have read all these cases and done all the research and watched all the date, you know, we mm-hmm. hear all the stuff in the news. I would probably be killed immediately. The thing is, it's like they give you advice, but it's never a hundred percent because every person's different. Every situation's different. You, some people you cannot humanize yourself with because they're sociopaths and don't care about you at all. Or I would I be mean, killed. Or they're just humongous and you're like, I'm not going to get away from them. Or I mean, I'm very petite. <laughs> do you think you would just immediately? I think I would, this mouth, I would immediately probably be murdered. 
Because I'm I'm like exactly what you said. You're not taking me from where I'm at. Well, that would be good if you were like in a public location. Like if you're in a parking lot. Right. Still. They want you to easily comply. They don't want to see. I would. Right. And odds I feel like are slim. They're going to shoot you in a parking lot. They're just going to take off. Right. That's true. They're going to threaten you. I don't know what I would do. But if they take you to a secondary location and you're running your mouth, I don't know. I mean, I would probably comply I talk a big game but I feel like if some giant six foot yeah. seven dude grabbed a hold of me trying to kidnap me mm-hmm. I would probably uh, I would, would like to think I would fight back but it's in, hard to know realistically I'd probably be like yes just don't shoot me in the face or don't rape me I think there's nothing yeah. more horrible than it's like I feel like a woman knows if they're out alone and they're taken it's They're probably, probably going to get, get raped, raped first and pro- likely killed. Ugh. So it's like with that in mind, it's just a lose, lose. I would like to think, I just, I don't know. I think I would try to fight because I don't want to get raped. I don't want to get I mean, raped. I know no, I'm obviously no, no one to get right. raped, but like, it's like you may as well kill me. I don't know. No, I'm know? just, I'm, mm, no, same. Sorry. But Go then ahead. again, I don't have children yet. So I would just be like, I'm out. Peace. Right. Just kill me. Don't do any of these other yeah, I might be different after having a child and, you know, something more to fight for, I guess. Yeah. It's really hard to say. I don't know. So, Carrie Swinson was born in 1961 and relocated with her family from Philadelphia, Pennsylvania to Bozeman, Montana. She was around nine years old because her father got a job as the head of the physics department at Montana State University. Later, she became a biathlete and even won a bronze medal as a member of the 1984 U.S. Relay Team and competed in the first Women's Biathlon World Championships in Chamonix, France. Oh, wow. Yeah. And in case anyone's wondering, because I had no idea, a biathlon is a winter race that combines cross-country skiing and shooting targets with a small bore rifle. I wouldn't put those two things together. I, f- I forgot about this, but I remember seeing it on the Olympics once. And I'm like, what is this? Why is this a, a thing? I have no idea. I wouldn't put those two things together. No, very interesting. Sure. But she, I can't do either of those things. I know. So. so Carrie placed fifth overall in the women's 10-kilometer final, which was a record performance at the time for a U.S. biathlete of either gender in 26 years of international biathlon competition. So she's a pretty big deal. Yeah. In 2015, Swenson and her teammates, Holly Beatty and Julie Newman, were inducted into the U.S. Biathlon Hall of Fame. Very impressive. After the season ended, Carrie took a summer job at a Montana guest ranch near Big Sky, Montana. And there she could still train daily. This ranch was about 20 miles north of Yellowstone National Park. So I'm sure it was gorgeous. On July 15th, she left for a run in the Eulerys Lake area. While running, she came upon two men who were dirty and unshaven with wide-brimmed hats and they had rifles. They used these to threaten Carrie and abducted her. So in this situation, she's in the middle of nowhere, does not have a weapon on her, two guys against her, and they had rifles. Yeah. 
that's one of those situations where fighting and screaming wouldn't have done anything. It's just a lose-lose at that point. Yeah. And that's got to be scary. No one's coming. I don't even like when I'm walking down the sidewalk and right. I come upon two men. I don't either. When Carrie did not return to her job that evening, everyone immediately thought something was wrong. Her family planned search parties and volunteers split off in twos to search the woods. Two volunteers named Jim and Alan got separated around 7.30 a.m. And in the meantime, Jim heard a gunshot and a scream followed by three voices. One female, two male. He followed the voices and found the two men standing above Carrie, who was in chains and was bleeding from her chest. Oh my God. Yeah. The younger of the two men looked stunned and mumbled something about not meaning to shoot her. And the older man pointed his rifle at Jim and was ready to shoot. Jim was a witness he didn't want, so he was prepared to kill him. All of a sudden, Alan found the rest of them and tried to stop it. At that point, the older man shot Alan in the face. And 36-year-old Alan Goldstein died instantly. Ugh. I know. I mean, it's awful, but doing this allowed Jim to be able to run away and escape to alert the rest of the search groups and the police. The two men packed up their stuff, unchained Carrie, and left the scene. Carrie was left lying on the ground to bleed out and die. Luckily, well, luckily, that's not what happened. In total, she laid on the ground for four hours and somehow summoned the energy to crawl into a nearby sleeping bag. There, she ate a little bit of a candy bar and drank some lemonade. She tried her hardest not to pass out. So Jim was going back to the search party to alert everyone. And a helicopter found Carrie at 11.55 a.m., about 18 hours after her initial abduction. They took her straight to the hospital, and they were able to stabilize her. So the bullet entered her chest, just below her collarbone, went through her lung, collapsing it, and exited below her shoulder blade. So I just really went, oh my god. So now the search was on for these two men. And it didn't take police too long to figure out who they were, but catching them was another story. The two men were a father and son duo, 53-year-old Don and 19-year-old Dan Nichols. They considered themselves survivalists and lived in the mountains part-time. Dan's parents legally split when he was around four years old. He would stay with his mom during the school year but he would spend the long breaks with his dad. Don didn't trust people or society in general, and he wanted to be off the radar. He's one of those guys. So as Dan grew up, he also became more isolated. So they weren't real survivalists because they would poach, break into nearby cabins and steal supplies, and they were part-time, so they would leave the mountains for months at a time and purchase modern equipment. So they're kind of like wannabes, honestly. Yeah. Fair weather survivalists. Yeah, they really like, it's kind of cold. cold. You want to go back home tonight? There's yeah. the new PlayStation game out. For real, it's like, give me a break. So the reason they abducted Carrie was because 
Dawn wanted to find someone to make Dan's bride. What? Yes. Is that not just... That just sounds creepy. Creepy and so... They were going to... They were going to... Just hold her hostage yeah. and maybe she'd eventually come around and get used to the idea of being wife. They were just going to breed with her. Honestly, it's I mean, so it's gross. very, it's terrifying. Probably leave her chained up in the mountains yep. forever. Oh, yep. so they were on the run for a total of five months, and in the meantime, the media made it real weird. I say that because instead of just straight up shaming these two men, people romanticized their lifestyle. N- no, Barbara Walters said that it was quote almost romantic. Them kidnapping her to become his wife. Barbara. Barbara. They were called mountain men and survivalists, even though they sucked at it. And the news made them out to be a couple of rowdy, lawless frontiersmen on the run. I I still can't believe that she tried to make this the princess bride. I know. No. Like, almost romantic? Uh Uh-uh, girl. Oof. No. So they were finally caught after a manhunt in the mountains of southwestern Montana, and the media focused more on these men than on Carrie and her incredible survival. Don and Dan Nichols were tried separately in Virginia City, Montana. According to his trial testimony, five years before he kidnapped Carrie, Don Nichols bought a chain with the intent of securing a suitable woman when he found one. That is not... How about dating? And also, at this time, his son would have been 14 years old, right? 13 or 14. That's disgusting. So you've been planning this whole time to kidnap a woman for your son? You're part-time. You go... Use the other part to find somebody. Good God. Can't be that hard in the 80s. I don't know, but... Girl, it's hard now. Not hard enough that I want to kidnap no, and chain somebody up. This dude, awful. So he had a dream of starting his own tribe, as he said it, in the mountains, and he knew a woman probably wouldn't go along with this idea willingly. At first, he said. Very culty. He it's like he thought that once he caught a woman and chained her up, she would just be like oh, she not would so change bad. her mind yeah, over no. time. No. What? A freak. When they abducted Carrie, they hit her in the face so hard that she had to undergo a ton of dental work after she was rescued. So you know that's got to be bad. They threw her to the ground, chained her to Dan, and constantly threatened her with knives and guns. May of 1985, Dan was sentenced to 10 years in prison for kidnapping and misdemeanor assault. That's it? Yep. He claimed he did not mean to shoot Carrie and that it was an accident, but she said it wasn't. He was released on parole in 1991. He stayed out of trouble until 2011, so almost 20 years, but he was arrested on drug charges and sentenced to four more years in prison. But he's out and about again. Oh, God. I know, this man. In September of 1985, Don, the father, was sentenced to 85 years in prison for kidnapping, murder, and aggravated assault. 
He came up for parole review four times but was always denied until April 27, 2017. At the age of 86, and he looks freaky for 86, let me just tell you, I'll post a picture, but he didn't age well in prison. He was granted parole after serving 32 years. During this hearing, Don told the board members that they wouldn't regret their decision and that he felt bad about his crimes. The board noted his clean records in his more than 30 years in prison and the completion of anger management and life skills courses. He was released from prison on August 23, 2017, but died this year on June 17, 2023. So he had six years out. Carrie rarely spoke to the media after the men were caught, and she returned to training. She earned a spot on the U.S. biathlon team again and competed in the 1986 biathlon competition in Oslo, Norway, where she finished fourth. She still was hurting from all of her medical stuff, even though she underwent therapy. That year, she retired from competitions and enrolled in Colorado State University Veterinary School and graduated in 1990 after working for five years at a small animal vet practice in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. She returned to Montana, and as of 2019, she's a practicing vet in Bozeman. Oh, wow. Yeah. So she and her family were not happy with the coverage because they felt like her abductors were glamorized, and they also stereotyped her as, quote, a proper bell. Oh, good. Uh, this was uh, so gross. And she was a champion athlete. <sighs> One newspaper headline called Don Nichols a nice man born a hundred years too late. What? Isn't this, appa- isn't this appalling? It's like, what in the world was. I would like to think this wouldn't happen in the media today, but it's like. Uh, nothing surprises A nice me. man? No. You kidnapped a woman and chained her up. And beat the crap out of her. And shot her. Kid. Yeah. That's not sexy. And he ended up shooting and killing a person. Like, this is not a nice man. In 1989, her mother, Janet Swenson, published a book called Victims, the Carrie Swenson story, which focused on the real story from Carrie's point of view. And Carrie attributed her survival to the breath control skills she developed as an athlete. Makes sense. Yeah. Janet also felt that Alan, the man who died trying to rescue Carrie, was unfairly depicted in the media as someone who had no business being in the mountains anyway. They just got it all wrong Mm -hmm. so bad. So Janet dedicated the book to Alan and calls him a hero. And he is. Yeah. The book explains Carrie's point of view that when she was abducted, she studied the terrain as they dragged her through the woods so she could find her way out if she got a chance to escape. This is exactly what you were talking about. Pay attention to yeah. your... I, I just... I don't, I don't have zero survival skills. Well, if I'm in the woods, I feel like it all looks, it all the, looks same. the same. I wouldn't know how to get out of the I'm woods. I'm not outdoorsy. I don't know which side of... I don't know. I mean... I could do this. She dropped items. But if you're not going the right direction, you wouldn't see those items. Well, she dropped items... Along the way, like her watch in hopes it would be a breadcrumb for searchers. Like not her finding her way back, but searchers being like, she was here for sure. Like 
Yeah. I need to start wearing my fake nails again. That's always my thing. I'd be, like, I'd be popping those suckers. Well, I know always they think about anyway. I leave those in an Uber just to. Yeah. No, that's <laughs> not. That's like, who was it that case where the girl touched everything? Yeah. I mean. I touch spit, everything. Spit everywhere. Just get your germs. Get your. Spit in your hand. Rip off rip pieces it. of your clothes. Buttons. Man, that's Mm-mm. that's the one thing I maybe could do. Your Uber driver is going to kick you out. He's going to be like, this crazy girl in the back. Just like, I just leave one stray. She's one stray hair. Her I put some, get some hair and shove it in his seat. Just rubbing her spit hand <laughs> on the windows. Oh, my gosh. And she deliberately pressed the imprint of her running shoes in the dirt. She's, she is smart. She's smart. She's an athlete. She's smart. After she was shot, she said she experimented with different breathing and found one that caused the least gurgling and sucking in her collapsed lung. Yeah, so she could tell, like, this breathing is going to make me live longer than... Oh, God. She closed her eyes and concentrated on slowing her pulse, which slowed the hemorrhaging. Mm. And she also was trying hard not to pass out. Just... A lot, and that was four hours of that. No, she was and is the real survivalist. I'm just saying. Yeah, she's badass. And screw these two wannabe wilderness dudes. Gag. Let's take a quick break. All right, what do you have for me today? You're going to bear with me because it's kind of long. Okay. And maybe hard to follow at times. (laughs) So I'm going to do my best. I'll ask questions. So hang in there. And this, um, I found this case on, um, do you ever watch FBI Files? Mm, What's it on? I watch it on YouTube. Oh. You're a youth now. I I am a youth. We joke all the time about not watching stuff, but you've gone to YouTube. I've gone, I'm YouTube in it. Interesting. So uh, FBI Files, if you haven't watched it, it's really good. And um, so season five, episode 11 was about this case. Randomly came across it. Very interesting. So June of 1973, the Yeager family came to Montana from Michigan on a family vacation. They're excited to explore the West for the month. And this was their first family vacation since their seven-year-old Susie was born. So it's Sunday, June the 24th, and it's their last night in Headwater State Park. They're loading up, heading west in the morning. The four youngest kids slept in a tent while their oldest son slept in a camper with the grandparents. I mean, I don't know about leaving my kids outside to sleep, but I bet they probably wanted to. I can see me being, you know, seven, eight, nine years old and having that many siblings. It'd be fun to sleep out. And it's not like they're alone. No, the grandparents yeah. and older brother were in a camper, and then mom and dad were in like one of those little pull behind the mm-hmm. car, little pop up campers. So they're sleeping in that. At some point in the middle of the night, 13 year old Heidi wakes up and there's light coming through the tent. So she thinks the tent has fallen. So okay. she kind of gets up and then she notices it's actually been cut. Like sliced, and Susie is gone. So she runs and tells her parents, and they're half asleep, confused. What do you mean she's gone? Maybe she went somewhere to go. Maybe she had to pee. You know, maybe she walked away and had to go pee. So they're they start looking for her. They're yelling her name. Then they see 
the tent has been cut and off in the distance through the grass, they see her stuffed animal lying there. So how someone took her. Oh my gosh. So dad drives to a payphone and calls the police. You gotta think this is nineteen seventy three. Park and find yeah. a payphone. Oh my it's gosh! Nineteen seventy three. So he's got to find a phone. Calls the police. They send a deputy and a county investigator out. And of course, these you know two investigators are hoping it's a false alarm. Nothing happens here. Yeah. She's probably wandered off in the woods. She probably wasn't taken. You know, there. This doesn't happen. Family is completely distraught when they get there. They show him the tent. They show him how it had been sliced. The investigators know that this is not, this is bad. Yeah. So they see that there are tracks in the dew that lead to a parking lot, but it's empty. They contact the FBI. Two agents head to the campground. They interview all the other campers around and the parents. And there's no question to them. She, she was kidnapped. So one of the largest searches in Montana history began with the National Guard, helicopters, dogs, horseback, ATVs, boats. They're searching wow. for this. This is a seven-year-old girl. So on May 5th, 1968, just a few years before this, these same agents had been out to the same campground and oh, this same no. campsite. A group of Boy Scouts were camping And one of the boys woke up and went to wake up his tent mate and realized he was covered in blood. 12-year-old Michael Rainey had been stabbed and beaten in the middle of the night. He was taken to the local hospital but died the same day. The town people that were searching for Susie thought, this has to be the same person that did this. Same thing. His tent was cut. He was beaten. How was... Did all that happen and no one heard? No one heard. Wow. Just no one heard Susie being abducted either. So they questioned those who had been previously charged with crimes in the area, sex offenders. There were several that lived close to this campsite. And they brought them in. They gave them polygraphs. One of the polygraphs came back inconclusive. So they sent this guy to a psychiatric hospital to be questioned under sodium amytal, truth serum. (laughs) Supposedly, it produces a relaxed state where you become more talkative and most people are unable to lie. Could you imagine if we could get our hands on that stuff? I was just thinking, I wonder how... I mean, I don't know if I would want to know. I might not have any friends left. Well, I would try to see if I could beat it. I would just try to make it a competition. But then you'd be telling all your truths, too. So anyways, Mm -hmm. the guy told the truth, and he was eliminated as a suspect. Hmm. So tip line is opened. Tips are pouring in. And, of course, they look into all of them because you have to. And one of them was from a man who wanted his neighbor looked at. He said he's just odd. (laughs) He's just odd. His name is David Meyerhofer, and he's a local contractor. So he's questioned. Nothing seems odd to them. He is released. So David was born June 8th, 1949, to Clifford and Eleanor in Bozeman, Montana. Mm. He was one of five children. 
Um, shortly after his birth, the family moved to the small town of Manhattan, and that's where he basically grew up. He was there all through his childhood and his teenage years. He attended local Manhattan High School. Very laid back kid. Very introverted. He was considered an outcast because of this and was mm. often bullied. Ugh. That shit just makes me so yeah. mad. Why you just got to pick on the kid that just keeps to himself? Oh, real. Like, not hurting anybody. He's not doing anything. Mm-hmm. But that seems to be the target yeah. for a lot of these. Easy. It's an yes. easy target, basically. So, Ugh. he graduated in 1967. He worked several odd jobs and then was drafted by the Army in 1968. He enlisted in the Marines on October 1st and then headed to San Diego to the military base. He completed basic training and then was sent to Cherry Point before being sent to Vietnam. Mm. He was awarded the National Defense Service Medal, the Vietnam Service Medal, and the Vietnam Campaign Medal. In August of 1971, he came back to the U.S. where he continued his military service at Camp Pendleton. In 1973, he was honorably discharged from the Marines returned to Manhattan, and worked as a handyman and carpenter, kind of running a shop in the city. Three days. Okay, so now we're back to the story. So three days later, a man calls the FBI's regional offices in Denver, claiming that he was the one that kidnapped Susie. Whoa, someone confessing? He called the FBI. I'm the one that took her. I need $25,000 in ransom. And you're calling us, sir? Yes. (laughs) On July the 2nd, The county sheriff's office received a similar call. This time, the kidnapper said he wanted $50,000. And to back up his claims, he described what the little girl looked like and her unique fingernails. She had a birth defect, and on her index fingers, her fingernails were misshaped. And he told them. Wow. They talked to the parents. Ooh, that's freaky. They're like, he has her. There's oh, no God. way we didn't release yeah. that to the public. You guys didn't even know that. We didn't even yeah. think to say she's got a weird fingernail or, you know. Right. Because that's not something no. strangers would see a little girl in the distance right. and notice that. Yeah. Right. If there's a distinguishing birthmark right, right. on the face, a mole, yes, a oh, weird fingernail, no. no. So they agree to transfer the ransom and try to catch him. But this was unsuccessful because no one showed up at the drop-off point. <sighs> so a month passes, and the Yeager family, they have to go back to Michigan. They've been staying. Holy crap, I forgot they were on vacation. They were here. They did not leave. They did oh not leave. God. They stayed in case. What a nightmare. I wouldn't want to leave either. Oh, I wouldn't have been. God. I mean, but they had four other children. Oh, yeah. I mean, ugh, what so a mess. So they have to go back to Michigan. Mm-hmm. They printed out. Over 10,000 posters and sent them to police departments around the U.S. to get her face out there. Kidnapper calls. The Jaeger family home. Yes. And Susie's oldest brother, because the parents were out. So they had a rule that the oldest answers the phone. Mm -hmm. Brother answers the phone. He's 16. His name is Daniel. The guy on the phone tells him he's already talked to the police and the FBI. But the FBI had wiretapped the Jaeger's phone because... Of course. He's already called twice. He's going to contact you guys. Yeah, for sure. So for months, he didn't. And then one night, he did. They were able to record the full conversation. 
The FBI traced the call to a gas station in Wyoming, but couldn't catch him. Good Lord. There was no one recalled seeing anybody on the phone. There was nothing. So another dead end. Months pass. No leads. No more phone calls. So it's been eight months. And the police department gets a phone call that 19-year-old Sandra Smalligan had gone missing from Montana, Manhattan, Montana. Same area of the Boy Scout and Little Susie. Ten miles, to be exact, from the campground. I hate that it's been that long, too. Yes. Mom said she was last seen heading into her apartment after a night out with friends. Her car was missing, and no one had heard from her in days. These police officers know Sandra. This is a small town. Mm -hmm. They know her family. They open a missing persons case, and they start searching back roads and woods all around the area, trying to locate her, her car, anything. Mm -hmm. They come upon an old ranch called the Lockhart Place, and one of the detectives spots something in, in the grass, so he gets out and looks. It's a pair of women's panties. Oh, gosh. There's an old barn in the distance. They go to check it out. It is nailed shut. They were able to prod open, and inside is Sandra's car. So they spread out over a five-mile radius looking for Sandra. One of them finds a burn barrel in the middle of a field that had ashes in it with wood and bone fragments. They begin looking around, and they find over 1,200 skeletal fragments. <gasps> yes. Oh, no. The fragments belong to two different people. You know, they bring in forensic mm-hmm. science. Two different people, the first being a girl between the ages of six and eight years old. The other was positively identified as Sandra. Oh, my gosh. So this David guy, he's kind of always around the cops. He's... Coming to the cafe when they're eating breakfast, he's pulling up a seat, having coffee, oh asking about these cases, these missing people. Have you found anything? Can I help do anything? He's just too on the nose. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had been questioned before with Susie, and he had dated Sandra. So he's kind of six degrees of separation because oh, wow. he's the guy that the neighbor called and said, my neighbor's weird. Oh, gosh. So they ask him to submit to a polygraph, and he agreed. Then they ask him to undergo the truth serum test. They're still on this truth serum. And he does. Several profilers from the FBI had been brought in working on this, and they were working on refining a new technique called offender profiling, which took information and made a psychological profile of the supposed offender. They determined that the suspect was a white man, likely between 25 and 30, local to the area, with a background in telecommunications or the military, and a known social outcast who had problems interacting with others. That was their profile. It's so wild to me that they can get so specific. I'm just like, how do you know that, like, 25 to 30? Really? Like, what? That's why they're the FBI. I guess so. And we have this podcast. That's why we're podcasters. (laughs) So during the investigation, police gradually narrowed it down to David was a huge possible person of interest. Police noted that the man matching his description had made 
frequent trips to Three Forks between 1973 and 74, where he carried out construction and installation working at various ranches, including the Lockhart Place. Where the remains, all the bones were found. After checking his travel schedule, he was placed in Wyoming in September of 1973 after they found a receipt from an auto repair shop. So, that was the day that the call was made and they traced it to Wyoming. Wow. Local police were like, you guys are making a mistake. We've already cleared him twice. Like, they're telling the FBI, no, we've cleared him twice. (sighs) We gave him the truth serum. Oh, my God. Like, I can't even imagine yes. the FBI being like, wait, what? You wait, gave what? him this truth serum? This? this? In, oh, my God. So the FBI predicted he would contact the family again, uh-huh. most likely on the anniversary of Susie's uh-huh. kidnapping, and he did. Ooh, I have goosebumps. On September 24th, the kidnapper, pretending this time to be a man named Travis, called the family house. Yeah, what a freak. He said he was too smart to get caught. And that Susie was fine, and people think that they are a family. They've been traveling all over. Susie's mom said she's praying for him, and she forgives him, and she's glad that he was taking care of her little girl. So she's, like, mind-fucking him. Well, they knew at this point, right? Her remains were found. Yeah. And it was her. No. Oh, wait, my bad. It was Sandra. They know Sandra's been found. These are just bones belonging to a small child. Yes, my bad. Okay. Yes. But she's trying to keep him on the phone and keep him talking so they can trace this call. That would be so hard. Get this recorded. So she's just talking, 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 talking. She kept him on the phone for over an hour. Oh, my gosh. And then he hung up. And they were unable to trace the call. After all that? All of that, yes. They were devastated. A month later, a rancher called the police and said he found his phone wire had been tampered with. So, kind of spliced, like Mm -hmm. somebody had cut into it. So, they get to talking. Who has access to your phone lines? Is there anybody that works on your ranch? David. David. David worked on the ranch. So the FBI had been monitoring the call, and after audio phonoscopic examination, comparing the anniversary call that they recorded and his voice from the interview that they had done, they conclusively determined that it was David. Wow. They arrested him the very next day. He was detained in Bozeman, and authorities searched his house and the interior of his car They found bloody women's clothing, washed out bloodstains, a human hand, and several fingers, which he kept in his refrigerator. The driver's license, wallet, and notebook, all belonging to Sandra, was found hidden in his wall. So he'd cut a hole and put this stuff inside of it. (sighs) David confessed to abducting and killing little Susie, (sighs) as well as Sandra. He admitted that he had attempted to have sex with Sandra, and when she refused, he abducted her, tried to gag her. He told him he tied her up, sealed her mouth with duct tape, and began to take her clothes off, and she suffocated because he accidentally put the tape over her nose and mouth. Oh, my gosh. So he had to slice her body up into separate parts and then burned her in the burn barrel. 
He claimed also that he had stabbed Susie to death shortly after her kidnapping as she fought back. His motive for murder was never determined. He vehemently denied his aim was to rape little Susie. That's what I was wondering because 19 and a little girl is kind of different. He said he did not rape her. After killing his victims, he dismembered their bodies with a hunting knife and a wood saw and then burned them in the fire pit before scattering their ashes and remains around the Lockhart place. His defense attorney brokered a plea deal involving the confession of two additional murders that he had not been linked to yet to avoid the death penalty. The first one happened when David was still in high school. Oh, my gosh. A 13-year-old boy named Bernard was shot to death on a bridge in 1967 where he was swimming with a friend. What this is even the point? breaks my heart. Police initially thought it was an accidental shooting because they were in the woods. Like, maybe a hunter yeah. was out there. And not both were shot. Not both were shot. That's weird. He was shot. It must Ugh. have been an accident. Or maybe something ricocheted off of like a target because mm-hmm. they were in the woods. This is Montana. Right. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Turns out he was the little brother of the boy who had bullied David in school. He was just the brother, not the person that actually bullied and him. And he did it for revenge to Oh, my God. Him. The second additional murder was that of 12-year-old Michael. <laughs> He did it because the Boy Scout troop had embarrassed him by kicking him out when he was young. But this kid didn't. I swear, I hate when there's revenge killings that make no sense. No sense. They didn't do it to you. Nothing. No one in his family. It's so irritating It's so sad. Interrogators suspected David may have committed more than four other murders. Oh, my Lord. But only confessed to those because of the plea deal. Mm. So four hours after giving his confession, 22-year-old David was found dead in his jail cell. He had hung himself with a towel. How old was he? 22. All of this had happened. He was only 22 years old. Oh, my gosh. He had been to Vietnam, been back. I mean, it just. Good Lord. 22 years old. Jailers had not been told that David was a murder suspect (sighs) and he had not been put on suicide watch. The cases associated with David were closed immediately, but his reasoning and motivations for the murders remain haunting to this day. In the early 1970s, when David's crimes were ongoing, the federal, like I said, the Federal Bureau of Investigation had been refining their method of psychologically profiling criminal offenders, and David was the first serial killer to be actively investigated using this new technique. Offender profiling is now a contemporary method used to discover clues pertaining to the characteristics of an unknown person. So from the evidence at the scene of the crime or to build a psychological profile as far as the perpetrator is concerned. Susan Yeager, little Susie, her mother Marietta wrote a book about Susie's kidnapping called The Lost Child. was published in 1983. In 2022, author and journalist Ron Francel wrote Shadow Man, an elusive psycho killer, and the birth of FBI profiling all about this case and the role the FBI played in first ever criminal profiling and 
I have not read either one of those books, but I would like to. Yeah, I'll link them up in our show notes. And like I said, this was on FBI Files show season five, episode 11. This guy. That is. This was a heavy case. It's so frustrating, too, when they kill themselves in prison. Because, like you said, there's cases that he might have been. Yeah. Well, and here's my thing. You, this little girl. Man. All of these people, right. all of, and, and that's the thing, three children, and the adult was 19. None of them, nobody deserves to die. Don't make it sound no. like I'm saying that, but they had nothing to do with you. No. That's so weird. I did read one, a couple actually, articles that talk about him possibly having schizophrenia, but it wasn't confirmed. So I didn't want to like throw that diagnosis yeah, around in yeah, the case yeah. because that gets mm-hmm. thrown around enough. 22. I would have thought, I mean, if anything, maybe some trauma from Vietnam, but he had killed before he even went there. He'd killed in high school. Yeah. So it makes me think he just. A 13 year old boy just swimming with his friend <sighs> like a marksman, like laid in wait like a hunter that makes me want to throw up it's just it's awful anyways wow well do we have new patrons (laughs) awkwardly changing the subject we have three new patrons this week which is really cool we have Lori T from Virginia is she our first um, do, do, do. No, we have a few. Dark. Awesome. We have a few, but they're like all on the, like the borders. So it's kind of hard to tell. Thank you, Lori. Yeah, that's awesome. Thank you. We have Blair S. from West Virginia. So we've really got the Virginia. Come on, Virginia. We have a few from West Virginia. We love you guys. We love the East over there. And we have Scott A. from Iowa. <gasps> I'm like, where's, there we go. We have two. Awesome. That's awesome. And it's Scott's birthday on October 27th. So this will come out after. But happy birthday, Scott. Happy birthday, Scott. He joined us for his birthday. Isn't that so sweet? That's really awesome. Thank you. We hope you like the Patreon. (laughs) (laughs) He's like like an immediate cancel. We hope you like it. We'll send y'all stickers very soon. But this month for you, we're releasing our typical Patreon-only episode for everybody so you can listen to that episode tomorrow on the 31st halloween so you get us monday tuesday wednesday this sorry about that guys i'm like maybe that's too much but let us know it's a little halloween treat for everyone so very very excited that we have three new patrons it is exciting we're really east coast well not just east coast east u.s heavy I mean, I'm going to need Colorado and Wyoming and Montana. Come on, y'all. New Mexico. New Mexico. It's like one line <laughs> straight down. Come on, guys. It's very We're gonna have to have shocking a, a lot of Northeast. We're going to have to have a traveling road show. Oh, we are. For real, <laughs> let me tell you. So I just have to say this because this is what's on my mind. Um, did you Did you get Brittany's book? No, but I'm very intrigued. I've been looking at spoilers. Well, let me just say this. Did you? Do I owe Brittany an apology? Because you know, a couple weeks ago, I was like, listen, maybe we freed her too soon. <laughs> and now I've been listening oh, you to her been. book. And I mean, I still think dancing around in your drawers is a little kooky. <laughs> 
It's a hobby. It's a hobby. But you know what? Tell your side of the story. Finally, she's never talked. No, she really has been very private since. Very quiet. I mean, forever, honestly. Until this conservatorship blew up a couple years ago. For real, yeah. She's not talked shit about anybody. And she should have. Yeah. Just some, well, some posts here and there about her sister, but <laughs> but that's that's you do that when you're not a celebrity. I do yeah, that when I'm not a yeah, celebrity. That's, like, that's just it's yeah. not like she's yeah no. And she wasn't calling Justin Timberlake out all these Listen, years. Listen, Justin Timberlake, Ooh, shut up. And he's just like trying real hard to not. He's gaslighting. Don't get me started. He's like My face is hot. He's just like I'm not talking about it. Just move on. Fuck off. Fuck mm-hmm. off, JT. I said it right here. And come <laughs> for me if you want to. Come slide in my DMs, peoples, because. <sighs> Once you, I mean, just, I mean. I saw a TikTok today of an old lady reading the book, and then her grandson goes, what do you think of that book, Grandma? And she goes, Justin's a bitch. (laughs) so funny. Listen, and she's talking about everything that, like, she went through with Mm -hmm. with having – her abortion mm-hmm. and how it just kind of, he just kind He really made the decision for her in yes. terms of being like, no, nah, we're not, we're not going to do that. And, you know, when she was talking about like her performance on the VMAs, and I remember that when she did that performance and thinking, oh man, that kind of sucked. Because she was off, mm-hmm. but she had been gone and then she came back and, you know, all yeah. the things and it was like, girl, you maybe you should practice more. You know, yeah, and then you read and you find out that was the first time she had seen him since that, Gosh. and she ran into him backstage and he like shunned her, yeah. and then she had to immediately go on stage. She was distracted, her mind, she's trying not to cry. Brittany, she's, I'm sorry, and she's just been <laughs> slut shamed, yes, forever. Uh, you know, I just, mean, women of the world, Holy Spirit, activate. Brittany, we love you, and we're sorry you went through everything you went through. I feel for child stars. It's just – I mean – Not not great. And I stand by what I said. Shut up, Justin. <laughs> yeah. Shut up. Justin, I'm like, I can't. Ooh, yikes. I can't. Cringe on Justin. And I by, just want everybody to move on. I'm sure you do, and sir. By, by doing that, he's not helping his self at all. He couldn't stop talking about her back in the day. Oh, he couldn't. You were on a whole press tour, and all of it you talked about was oh, her. Yeah. So fuck off. Sorry. Yeah. No, for real. Our, all of our patrons just left. <laughs> My, look, I had a crush on shocking Lance Bass. <laughs> So fruit fly. I've always loved the gays. I did, little did I know. So I never was a big JT fan. So I'm like, oh, thank God I, I picked the good one. Listen. I picked the right one. Anyways. Oh the Paranormal God. Expo is coming up this weekend, which it'll be – it have already happened when this comes out. For real. And I was real excited about going. Like mm-hmm. Jason and I had plans. We're going to go either mm-hmm. Saturday or Sunday, one of the days. The lineup, amazing. I literally want to be there from 9 a.m. until 5 a.m. I want to see every single speaker. Oh. And then today, the bishop, who was going to talk all about exorcisms, pulled <gasps> out. Why? I don't know. Maybe he got maybe he got called out. Maybe he was on oh. call. Maybe he had to go exercise a demon. I don't know. But he pulled out. And now I'm I'm now I'm like, man, that's a bummer. That was the main reason for going because it was right in the middle of the day. Yeah. So I thought, oh, Bigfoot check, UFOs check, 
witchy bullshit cool stuff, yeah. cool stuff, all the things going on. Halloween weekendy, man, and an and an exorcism. That's cool. Pulls out. I was wanting to go. I I'm going to be too busy Saturday party prepping and all that. But Sunday is our kickball championship. Oh, well, you so can't play anyway. It rains out. You can't play anyway. I know. I skip can't. it. Skip it. And all the games are drinking games. I can't drink. Listen, I can't play. Hello. Enjoy your last moments. Of being able to go do stuff like that <laughs> without a stroller. Stuff. For real. I can go to kickball with a stroller. Yeah. Without a stroller, <laughs> without a baby tied onto your person. Yeah. For real. For real. Anyways. Yeah. That's a good point. I can't play. Samuel's on call anyway. He can't go to kickball. So. See? There's no reason for you to go. Yeah. You should come do paranormal we things. Should, they should never do that on Halloween weekend. Or holiday weekends, I am period. against kickball on holiday weekends. Oh. <sighs> I'm busy. Anyways. Um, Anything else? Got some more notes and color-coordinated pens? I went to Walmart a couple days ago for just – Ew. Just kidding. I know. Just no, it was – so it was it was uh, Disney Day because it was uh-huh. Red Ribbon Week uh-huh. all oh, week. he did that? So you have to dress up every day. Well, he was like, if you can find me like a Disney shirt because he's <laughs> outgrown all the ones he wore to Disney yeah. World. I'll wear a t-shirt yeah. and shorts. I'm not dressing up. Because I was like, let me put your long hair in like little buns oh and, my and make them like mouse ears. There's 0% chance he would no. let you do that. He was, he was no freaking way. He talked to me like I was just talking about Justin Timberlake. That's, He's like, absolutely not. Shut your mouth. <laughs> uh, so I did find a Disney shirt there. All of their Christmas shit is out. Everyone's is. And it's upsetting because I went looking for last minute Halloween decorations gone. a week ago. Gone. Gone. Everything's Dollar gone. Tree, nothing. Nothing. It's all Christmas everywhere. Everybody calm down. So that night I was laying with him and I brought up Christmas because mm-hmm. I'd just seen all the bullshit everywhere. And so I asked him, "What have you thought about what you want for Christmas yet? Yeah, I have. I already told Santa. Oh, no. Well, tell me. Santa already knows. When did you when did you tell Santa? I tell him in my mind. I'm like, that's God. That's not Santa. <laughs> I think you mean you're praying. You have to write a letter. You I'm like, he you doesn't read your mind. You can't. He's like, he sees everything. Oh, no. He knows well, when you're asleep and you're awake. He can see what's in my mind. You're like, no, those are visuals. I'm like, that's that's Jesus. That's not Santa. I'm like, we really need to go to church. Shit, I'm dropping the ball I'm on dead. parenting. That's Jesus. That's Jesus, not, not God. I mean, they sound very similar. They both oh, do see you they, when you're sleeping and awake. Beards, pert- potentially. And you better be good, for goodness sakes, for both of them. Oh, but that's, that's funny. You're confusing the two. Yeah. So <laughs> I convince him to tell me. So this is what he tells me he wants for Christmas. Oh, no. He wants cloud lights. Have you seen those oh, lights that look like clouds? I want some. He wants some of those to hang in his bedroom with the LED that Ooh. you can do, like, music to or a thunder yeah, or whatever. I think whatever. they're really cool. He also wants a Michael Jordan jersey from when he played at North Carolina. So a oh, Chapel Hill jersey. Wow, we have a retro boy on our hands. He also wants a pair of high-top Jordans that match – the jersey, so wow. in the Carolina blue, he wants a Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls jersey, and also matching high top Jordans with the Chicago. Man, Bulls I'm colors. really impressed that he's like 
I mean, he loves sports. And Michael, he, yeah. But he does love shoes, but I don't know where this Michael Jordan Yeah, that seems – All know, of a sudden came from. And apparently he thinks – I'm moving bricks for El Chapo because <laughs> I looked at the prices. They're not cheap. $200 a piece for the shoes. Oh. $200 a piece for the jerseys. Mm-mm. And then he's got these $25 cloud lights. He's for sure going to get the cloud lights. You're like, um, maybe a different basketball player? Oh, what about Scottie Pippen? Didn't he? Wasn't okay. he like a friend? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I don't know. So – Time flies. It's already Christmas time almost. That's crazy. And you're going to have to – are you – of course you're buying presents for I don't know. What, baby what do you buy for like a week old baby? I mean, <laughs> it's just – Like for real though, like You'll just you get do? little toys. Just like to say you did it. Well, Max was a January baby, so – I'm also making cookies for Santa for the first time you for the babies, have which to. makes no sense, no, but I'm doing it anyway. you just need the pictures. I told Samuel, I'm like, I've been going through it. These are our family traditions now. <laughs> I think that's sweet and that's I'm important. Like, I'm like, we're going to wear matching pajamas. We're going to start this year. We do that. We're baking cookies this year. We do. We don't. We're well, watching a Christmas movie on Christmas Eve. I, st- well, we did cookies the first couple of years, yeah. but then I found it was more fun and funny. And I have all of these pictures for through all these last 10 years of Max's life of our Christmas Eve what we leave for Santa. Because I started letting, when he, Max was about three, I started letting him pick. What do you think Santa oh, would want to eat? So I have pictures of just a plate full of gummy worms. I have pictures <laughs> of corn on the cob and a hot dog. That's hilarious. And it's it's our funny, quirky tradition. That's a good like, one. Like we might put, like we'll put one cookie out for Santa yeah. just for like something sweet. But Max was like, hot dogs. Gummy worms, corn on the cob, and every year it would just change to what he liked. A slice of pizza. I mean, he just he's like, I don't think Santa will want to eat cookies every house. <laughs> every house. So it's like chips and dip one year, like ponchos, cheese dip, that. and so I was like, that's that's a that's our fun little tradition. That's very cute. I like that. Just Maybe I'll try to think want. outside the box. Yeah. Like I'm picking traditions for a, cu- a week to two week old baby that. <laughs> but they'll start now and then yeah. you'll have pictures to look back on. Samuel's on board for it. I'm, I'm surprised he's like, he's, Are y'all, he's all into it. Have y'all it. been here Christmas? or did- We have ne- actually never in our entire marriage ever spent Christmas at our home. Now you will. We have always been staying with our family mm-hmm. every single time. And it's only because I literally am due like six or eight days before Christmas. Yeah. I'm like, if I have this baby three weeks early, I'm still not driving up for You're Christmas. Not. He's too new. He's too new. It's cold se- flu season. And I am, my hoo-ha is going to be ripped apart. This is true. Just saying. Also. I'll be in the bed. But you need to establish boundaries. Oh, yeah. Hundred percent. I have already. I did not that out. Do that. that. It might be a problem. I did people. not do that. And family specifically, <laughs> it's it's now it's just tradition, and it it is right. frustrating for me. But it's Max's. Mm-hmm. He's used to it. But every Christmas Eve. But like I said, he was a January baby. So by the time Chris, his first Christmas, he was almost one. Yeah. So he was big. Yeah. And we would go to um, his dad's brother's house in hot springs Mm -hmm. and do a big christmas dinner and presents and which put us leaving hot springs after dark 
and driving home on Christmas Eve. So it was just very, then you're tired mm-hmm. and you have to do Santa and get everything put out. And all, and then it's midnight by the time you go to bed. Yeah. So. That was my childhood. Now. Which was fun. But yeah. it was like very like on the move, visiting yes, different families. you're running, you're running. Driving different places. Yeah. Now the rule is Max has to be home by six o'clock Christmas on Christmas Eve. Eve. That's good. Six o'clock. That way we have time to still do all of our stuff. Yeah. But even at even at ten, I mean he's almost ten. He Christmas Eve, he's like, I got I gotta go to bed. I gotta go to bed right now. He <laughs> panics. <gasps> I need to record it. It's the funniest fucking That's so thing funny. ever. He is like I tried to stay up all night. No. He is so scared and has been since he oh. has been little bitty that if he is awake. Ooh. And Santa is close. He will not stop. That's a good rule. I didn't have that rule, so I would always try to stay awake and catch Santa. I would try to sleep in the living room. Well, they have apps for your phone. You're going to learn all this now that you can track Santa. It's the And they're always in different countries. Yes. So you can see. (laughs) So Max will have me check in a million times and he's like, oh my God, he's in Florida. I've got to go to sleep, That is hilarious. So thanks for coming to Christmas Corner. Yeah, it's Christmas time now. All of a sudden, I know it's Halloween tomorrow for y'all, but... Sorry about that, guys. Goodbye. Bye.